This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hey, wonderful listener, this is Christina. If you love these podcasts, please make sure to rate each episode, leave a review, and subscribe on the app or platform you listen in on and share with others. It really is a great way to support my work and helps so much. Also, if you want to watch the video of the show, the link to my YouTube channel is below. Thanks for listening. And now, Shifting the Paradigm. This is Jimmy Church of Fade to Black, and you are in the future because you're listening to Christina Gomez and Shifting the Paradigm. Howdy, folks. This is Lou Elizondo, and you are listening to my very good friend, Christina Gomez on Shifting the Paradigm. This is Ray Sobs from the NX Network, and you're listening to Shifting the Paradigm with the intrepid Christina Gomez on the X. You're listening to the NX Network, KUNX DV, Kansas City, Missouri. Welcome to Shifting the Paradigm. I'm Christina Gomez on the Paradigm Shifts channel and on the X, the new mainstream KONX digital broadcasting talk radio. Are you ready for this? Because we're about to embark on an hour and a half of UFO shenanigans and paranormal adventures. Right here is where we look and think outside the proverbial box. We jump down those rabbit holes where you get a red tic tac instead of a red pill. First off, make sure you subscribe and share these shows on social media to those who you think are having their minds and eyes open to the reality of the UFO mystery. All of these shows are great primers. And in the push for more clarity, transparency, and disclosure, the more voices demanding answers, the better. For those listening on KUNX Talk Radio and affiliates, I have two other shows each week that only air on my YouTube channel. Thursdays is Mysteries with a History at 2.30 p.m. PST with my co-host, Jimmy Church of Fade to Black Radio. On Fridays at 3 p.m. PST is Weekly Strange News. This Friday will be with my guest co-host, John Russell. 
The Unknown Zone has now been pushed to every second Wednesday. So follow me on Twitter to keep up to date on my news and posts at eyes underscore on the skies. And definitely check out my website at strangeparadigms.com for all show archives, more information, and direct video links to my channel. Let's get into some news. Facial hair enthusiasts claim to have set a new world record for longest beard chain during an event in Wyoming on Friday. Participants gathered at Gaslight Social, a bar in Casper, where to participate, people needed to sport a beard at least eight inches long. They stood side by side and clipped their beards together to create a hairy chain that was measured at 150 feet long. That's more than double the Guinness World Record of 62 feet 6 inches set in Germany in 2007. Now, listen to this. This is something that you've done and we've all done it. You're walking around, doing your thing, minding your own business, and then suddenly you're thinking about a time in high school that you said something really dumb that you just wouldn't say now. Or that time where someone says, thank you, come again. And you say, yeah, <laughs> you too. And you just kind of cringe and die of shame. So why do these negative memories seem to just pop into our heads? And why do we feel so embarrassed still when the occasion passed long ago. Well, neurons grow physical connections with each other through the overlapping information in these representations. For example, memories might share a type of context, such as different beaches you've been to or restaurants you've eaten at, occur at similar periods of life, such as childhood or during your college years or have emotional and thematic overlap, such as times we have loved or argued with others. An initial activation of a memory could be triggered by an external stimuli from the environment, like sights, smells, tastes, sounds, and things like this, or internal stimuli, such as thoughts, feelings, and physical sensations. Once neurons containing these memories are activated, associated memories are then more likely to be recalled into conscious awareness. In fact, involuntary memories tend to be more negative than voluntary memories. So negative memories also tend to have a stronger emotional tone than positive memories. Humans are more motivated to avoid bad outcomes, bad situations, and bad definitions of ourselves than to seek out good ones. And this is likely due to the pressing need for survival in the world, physically, mentally, and socially. The good news is memories are very adaptable. When we recall a memory, we can elaborate on it and change our thoughts feelings to these past experiences. Reflecting, 
elaborating and reframing that memory might involve remembering some aspects of it that did go well. Integrating it with the idea that you stepped up to a challenge even though it was hard and reminding yourself it's okay to feel anxious or disappointed about difficult things and it doesn't make us a failure or a bad person. And this can then change our understanding of those past memories and past experiences And instead of attempting to avoid those thoughts, allow them to come and go and not attach to them once you have changed the framework of those thoughts. I'm reading this article to you because, look, we've we've all been there where you ask yourself, why am I thinking this? So I hope that this article that I read to you helped answer at least some of those questions. With that out of the way... Let me talk about my guest. Michelle L. Hamilton earned her master's in history from San Diego State University. She is the author or editor of several books, including I Would Still Be Drowned in Tears, Spiritualism in Abraham Lincoln's White House, Mary Ball Washington, the mother of George Washington, and Virginia's Ghosts and Legends, Volume 1. Her latest books, Civil War Ghosts, Haunted Land, and Virginia's Haunted History are published by Haunted Road Media. She is a lifelong student of history and has worked as a docent at several museums across the country. She is currently the manager of the Mary Washington House in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Michelle, welcome to Shifting the Paradigm. How's everything? Everything's good. Good, good. Now, I have a lot of new listeners and viewers in the podcast world and on YouTube that may not be familiar with your work. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in the paranormal? Well, my name is Michelle Hamilton. Um, I currently live in Virginia, but I'm originally was born and raised in San Diego, California. And my love affair with the paranormal started when I was a teenager and I started working at an historic property called the Whaley House in Old Town, San Diego, which was haunted and had a lot of really cool history. So that's where my two interests, my two passions of history and the paranormal kind of came together as I started as a young person researching the history of the property and also some of the ghostly accounts and trying to connect the dots to what was true, what was myth, and having really fun time doing that and I also went through uh, San Diego State University where I got my master's in history and then after I got my master's I moved with my family to Virginia and I'm currently the manager of the Mary Washington House in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Mary Washington was the mother of George Washington so it's a 1700 era house so I manage that, and then I also, on the side, um, write still about ghosts and the history of the paranormal. You touch on so many things that I want to get into, but before we even get into uh, the books that you've written, which I do have a few questions on those, in this house that you are a manager of, the um, mother of George Washington, it's pretty darn old. Have you come across anything paranormal while working there? Or have you heard any stories regarding that location that's just kind of eerie? 
Um, yes, in fact, um, if you follow us on our web on our Facebook page, Mary Washington House, um, we're actually going to be having an event on November nineteenth. Um, it's ten dollars. It's called Spirits of the Mary Washington House, and I get to talk about some of the ghostly happenings or the spooky stories that happen there. So yeah, the house is very old. It was originally built in seventeen fifty nine. Mary Washington moves in in seventeen seventy two. She dies in the property in seventeen eighty nine. She lived there uh, along with her enslaved workers. And then after that, her granddaughter lived in the house for a few years, and then it went through a series of owners. And then during the Civil War, it was used as a hospital for both Union and Confederate soldiers. And uh, uh, Union soldiers were actually buried in the backyard. We know of at least six. They have been disinterred. They've now been moved to the National Cemetery in Fredericksburg. And then after that, it became a museum in 1890. Uh, it, uh, it was saved in 1890. We, we opened our doors in 1900. And in fact, people still live on the property until the 1970s as caretakers. So we've had a long history of people living on the property, long history of people who love that pro property very much. And yes, we do have a few uh, spooky stories. A colonial woman was seen in the garden and Mary Washington loved to garden. And we've also had um, interactions with possibly Civil War soldiers. We've had interactions possibly with past caretakers. The school was also a boys' school. And so we've had a lot of childhood pranks that would take place, especially in our, our gift shop where things get knocked off the, um, out the, the shelves. Also, when we have school tours and we're starting to have school tours again. There is a bookshelf door in Mary's bedroom that will open up. It's kind of like is is whoever is welcoming the children back to the home. Could you go into detail on these ghostly interactions that you've heard of in the sense of where things moving or people seeing apparitions? What was going on? We've had the one story that I love. Um, about people actually seeing things is very rare at the property, but the story was uh, years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, even longer than that, a gentleman was walking his dog by, by our house and the backyard r runs across, um, runs parallel with Lewis Street, so there is a, a sidewalk. So a gentleman was walking his dog, which people frequently do, and Fredericksburg is a wonderful town to do it, and his dog starts barking and he looks up and he sees a woman in full colonial clothing and she's leaning over like she is examining a plant and the gentleman starts gets his dog to stop barking uh he reaches he, he braces up to say i'm so sorry ma'am that my dog is barking at you and when he looks back into the garden there is nobody there and this happened about five, six o'clock in the afternoon, hours after the property was closed. Uh, we do wear period clothing, but our gardener does not. Needless to say, that'd be very difficult to garden um, in full colonial clothing. And at that time, there was absolutely nobody um, at the house. So that's one of my favorite stories. Um, I personally haven't seen anything I've heard Things. I've heard sounds, shuffling sounds, um, moving sounds. Like one time, um, me and my coworker were working the day after Christmas. It was very quiet. And I, we actually heard uh, footsteps in the parlor. And um, wearing 1780s, 1790s shoes, there's a distinct little sound that they make on the hardwood floor. And what we were hearing was very similar to that of a, of a woman 
shoe um, clicking on the on the on the floorboards. Um, I've actually even heard um, the sounds of I saw a barricade had been knocked over. So it was the same day, the day after Christmas. Um, it was in 2020. Uh, I heard a sound, a slam. And I thought one of my barricades had fallen over upstairs. And I went to investigate and nothing had been touched. Absolutely nothing to explain this very loud, very distinct um, sound. So uh, that's the things that I have heard. Um, uh, I walked into the gift shop and th seen things off the shelves that ever they had fallen due to you know house shifting or just you know weight or gravity it should have taken a, a lot of other products down with it instead like the cookbook is laying in the middle of of the floor and nothing has been knocked down and the book hasn't been um dented from from falling off the top shelf uh we used to stock uh little british toy soldiers and those would get um, knocked off the shelves like someone was flipping it and I had a paranormal investigator group come in and we were doing EVPs and I said to I said okay what is it about these British soldier toys that you do not like and the response came back is I don't like red coat so I said okay we'll get rid of them so we sold them off and we haven't brought them back and so the toy soldiers that we do have are continental soldiers and they stay on the shelf Unbelievable. I just have one more question regarding that. And you mentioned that one of the books that fell from the top shelf wasn't dented in any way. How is something like that possible from your explanation? I have no clue. I, I think the ghosts are just uh, that as um, they're just playing a prank. I mean, there is there. I mean, because I try to look at it, get it um, as as skeptical, and sometimes I have some of my guests, will, oh my guides, will get a, like everything's ghostly. It's like, well, no, not everything's ghostly. We are in a two hundred and fifty year old house, and things do. You know, I can I can tell um, being there after hours. You know, when the house is just doing what it does, and that's you know, we're in the south, so it's, you know. You're going to hear pops from the the uh, was expanding and contracting, and that's what it should be doing. Um, I have no clue because you know I first tried to investigate, like, okay, what, what was the weight of the door slamming brings it down? Didn't happen. Is it was it too top heavy? No, I, I have no clue. In your book, Civil War Ghosts, you look at newspaper articles from 1860 to about 1865 by journalists that weren't afraid to write about paranormal activity. What was the mentality of ghosts at that time? Well, let's see, um, we've always been fascinated with ghosts from the very beginning of time. Um, and also, you know, the United States is, we're, uh, you know, primarily European extraction at this time. And all the European countries have stories of the ghosts, goblins, and fairies. And then in 1848, uh, which is about 12 years before, 12 years before the Civil War, there's a, there's a religion that comes up called spiritualism. And spiritualism is where we get ghost hunting from. And spiritualism is the belief and is based pretty, very strongly in the Christian faith, but is based on the idea that God is a loving God. He's not the he's not the um, judgeful, unmerciful God of the Puritans, but that this God is a loving God, and that when He calls 
a person home to be with him in heaven. He still wants those who are living to have interactions with their departed loved ones. And so they will refer to it as the gates ajar, meaning the gates of heaven are left open a little bit so that the spirits of the dead can come through and speak to the living. And that would happen through a person called a medium. Um, kind of like we have, we have second mediums today. This is where, for the first time, that that became a profession um, for people, primarily young women, young girls, um, you know, 14, 15, 12. I've seen some as young as 12, 10, 12, 12 upwards um, could be mediums that they, they said that they are born with it and that the spirits came through and talked to them in seances. And so this became very popular in the 1850s and then the eight civil war happens and all of these people die and people are left wondering what happened to my loved ones, are they okay? And so spiritualism becomes even more popular. So ghosts in the 1860s are not so much the ghosts we have today was the unfinished business, it's more of ghosts are trying to communicate that they're all right. Um, but also we're starting to see the beginnings of ghosts that we see today, or that makes sense, because so many of them died um, in such horrible ways. So we have stories that I talk about in my book where Union soldiers, like in West Virginia, which was a divided state of both Confederate and Union. And so Union soldiers who are fighting for the North are at a place where Confederates had, had, had passed away at. And so they're saying the ghosts of the Confederates are haunting them and are, are making their, their sleep um, uncomfortable, so they have to leave that area. So we're starting to see a, a, a shifting of ghosts being benevolent um, to ghosts with um, issues with things they're trying to get across. In that book, how many articles were you able to collect and which ones seemed the most compelling? I didn't count how many. It was a lot. It was a lot that I, I, I know at least 100 um, or more. What I found the most compelling were the accounts from the soldiers themselves, the ones who were in the front lines, the ones who are just trying to survive or trying to survive the war, just trying to... Um, make it home and then all of a sudden something is happening uh there's an account at at fort delaware which is a union um fortress which was being used as a prisoner of war camp for confederate soldiers and a confederate um prisoner of war had been exchanged and he's going home and he's giving an interview in the southern newspapers and he is talking about a confederate ghost that was haunting his union captors. So things like that, the things that um, they're not looking for ghosts, but ghosts find them. So then when it comes to ghost activity, ghost encounters, do you think it's pure luck? Is it random? Or could it possibly be that people are pre-selected to have encounters? I think it's a little bit of everything. Um, sometimes things just happen to you. Um, and sometimes I, you know, the person may have a connection to the site or a connection to the spirit. Uh, I, I, I don't know what makes a, a ghost decide uh, that they want to talk to a certain person. 
Now, you definitely cannot talk about ghosts and the Civil War and seances without talking about Abraham Lincoln and his family. So he and his wife endured a lot of loss, not just for the country, but even in their family. What does your book, I Would Still Be Drowned in Tears, Spiritualism and Abraham Lincoln's White House, say about how they coped with that? Yes, that's the story of how they coped. And one of the ways that they coped was through attending spiritualist mediums. It, it, it had, you know, again, it's this this cluster of timing that we have the creation of spiritualism. Spiritualism had been around for so 12 years, so it was already pretty firmly established in American culture by the Civil War. The Lincolns were aware of spiritualism before the Civil War. Spiritualist mediums um, would go on tour um, across the country, and they came through Springfield, Illinois, where the Lincolns were from. And so uh, though, though I have no evidence to say that the Lincolns attended a seance or a spiritualist lecture before uh, 1862, they are aware of it because they are reading the newspapers. They are aware of what is going on. And people will be talking about this, this religious idea because I mean, mean, people did view it as a religion. Um, and then the Civil War happens and not only is there massive death and the Lincolns are losing friends and family members, but their own son, Willie, dies in uh, February of 1862 from typhoid fever. And he was one of their uh, most, their favorite child. He was very sweet, sweet, very bright, the most like Abraham Lincoln in, in temperament. And so it was absolutely devastating. And Mary Lincoln goes into a deep depression and she did not handle the losses in her life easy. And this was the second child that the Lincolns had lost. Willie was 12. It was devastating. And Mary goes into a deep depression. And one of the ways she comes out of it is through attending spiritualist seances. And there was Washington, D.C. being the capital city, there was actually a lot of spiritualists, a very thriving community. And Mary is interested in it. She brings Abraham along. He finds it interesting. And for the remainder of Lincoln's life, they are both attending, um, both him and Mary, until 65, are attending uh, seances fairly regularly at the White House and at other locations. Um, and I'm one of the first historians. In fact, that was on the basis of my master's thesis. That's why I got my master's in history from, was through that study uh, that, though I couldn't, I, I won't say that he was a spiritualist himself, but he was definitely interested in it. And he was more interested in it than traditional biographers uh, are willing to, to, to admit. At that time, how did seances coexist with the Lincoln family's Catholic faith? Oh, the Lincolns were were not they were not Catholic. They were Protestant. Um, uh, uh, it, it, uh, it, it it kind of went the idea that um, heaven is for everyone. Um, the idea that um, God is a loving God. Uh, Mary was nominally uh, an Episcopalian and a Presbyterian. Uh, throughout her life. Lincoln himself never joined an established church. He always said that he would follow any church that um, put, the, put uh, Jesus's creed of, of love your neighbor um, as yourself and, and, and love God. And that would be his, his uh, religion. 
So it, it, it allowed um, the belief that you could still go to heaven, even if you did not belong to an established church, even if you were not baptized into an established church. Because before this, many Protestant denominations were still um, preaching that if a child did not get baptized, that means the child did not have a moment where they were born again, that they were old enough to have read the Bible and to have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, that if they did not have that moment, then it was unsure ever the child would make it to heaven. So here is a religion that says God loves everybody. You don't have to be a part of an established church. All children are good and pure. And so you will see Willie again. You will see Eddie again, their other son. You will see the members of your family that have died in the Confederate Army. You will see them in heaven again. And for the Lincolns, especially Mary, as she said, that's a little quote of my books, is I would still be drowned in tears. Ever she did not have her faith in spiritualism. She tells her sister, um, I there would be no 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 hope for her. It kind of goes to show when it comes to attempting to communicate with the dead, it gives you that sense of closure that you're not really that separated from them, even though that they have passed on, you're still able to have that communication. And for many, that gives them this sense of happiness, that sense of warmth. So why do you think that overall, it's not public knowledge that President Lincoln conducted seances in the White House? Mainly because it, Mary has been, until recently, has been classified as being eccentric, being crazy. Um, she was later in her life um, forcibly committed um, into a mental institution. And, and um, there was a lot going on with, with that that was more than just mental illness. But yeah, she did have um, probably depression. I know some historians have speculated that she had, had bipolar, uh, was bipolar. Um, but it's very difficult to diagnose a person 120 years after their death. So it was easy to put the blame on Mary. It's easy to historians are uncomfortable with spiritualism because it may not be something that they spiritually share themselves. Um, because it is something that even today is seen um, out of the norm. Um, you know, Nancy Reagan was into astrology and would have her astrologer um, analyze Ronald Reagan's um, daily schedule. Um, that is still seen as unusual, as funny, um, things that, that people are not comfortable discussing. So I think it has more to do with a retrisance um, against um, going into someone's faith that you may not be comfortable with. Also, I think... Um, because Lincoln was not a member of established church, it's easy to attach your beliefs to him. That's where almost every religion uh, has tried to say that at some point uh, Lincoln converted into their religion. But also for somebody that is seen as being so wise, so practical, so rational, it's a part of, their, of that person's life that uh, some scholars don't like um they don't like to they don't like their heroes to have faults 
Of course not. That makes perfect sense. You know, when you are presenting your work, you're going to bring your ego with that. And if it gets bruised, well, that's going to be an issue. I do have more questions relating to Abraham Lincoln, but we are coming towards a break. We'll be right back. Gigawatt Paranormal Powerhouse, KUNX DB, VX. This is Micah Hanks of the Micah Hanks program right here on KUNX. And right now, you're having your paradigm shifted by the one and only Christina Gomez. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And I'm gonna Welcome back. With me today is Michelle Hamilton. You mentioned in your book, I Would Still Be Drowned in Tears, Spiritualism in Abraham Lincoln's White House, that in 1828, he had visited New Orleans, which was before he became president, and he interacted with a voodoo fortune teller. What happened when he got exposed to that? We know a lot of things. One of the most um, important uh, moments in Lincoln's uh, young life, he's only in his early 20s, is when he goes on a flatboat to New Orleans to sell cargo, to sell um, goods down the market, down the Mississippi River from Illinois to, Missis um, to Mississippi. It was the super highway of the day. So Lincoln, for the first time, is being um, 
taken out of his neighborhood, his culture, his community, and he is going down into into uh, New Orleans. And for the first time in his life, he is seeing slavery for the first time. He sees his first um, slave auction. Um, and according to his cousin, who recorded these stories about him attending the the, the voodoo, um, meeting the voodoo priestess, um, when uh, Lincoln saw a slave auction for the first time, he is said to have told his cousin, um, "Ever, uh, you know, ever I ever get a chance to hit this thing, I will hit it hard." Meaning he will go after slavery somehow and 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 try to to help um, hurt hurt the system to help bring the end of, of a system. Lincoln, from a very young age, always thought it was um, unjust for a person to make another person work and then collect all of the profits uh, for it. He always thought that, that was unfair because as a child, he had to work and then give the money that he raised to his father. And they had a very strained relationship. So on a personal level, Lincoln always thought slavery was unjust. And then when he sees in his face, sees in the face and he sees the slave auction, it absolutely disgusts him. So also during this trip, he, like many um, uh, tourists today, they go to New Orleans and they get a reading. And he had um, a reading with um a voodoo priestess. Um, I know some people try to say it was Marie Laveau. We don't know um, who it was. And again, we have to trust um, Lincoln's cousin that he's telling the truth that this story even happened. But it seems logical that he would go to that as part of being in New Orleans and seeing the culture, he would have had some interaction with the voodoo religion and the voodoo culture. And the voodoo fortune teller uh, looks at his hand and basically says, you you are the man through your your hand you're you are the person that will strike down slavery that your hands will bring about the end of slavery and she says i only wish i was i was a younger woman that i could live to see what you were going to accomplish um and so we have these two stories of lincoln in new orleans seeing slavery seeing um saying i want to end this I want to hit it hard. And then a voodoo priest is saying, your hand, your hand is going to be the one that will end this. You mentioned Mary Laveau, and this is a common name in the paranormal field, but I'll be honest with you, I'm actually not familiar with her and her story. Can you give us just a little bit uh, of a brief overview of who this woman is and her significance when it comes to so many paranormal investigators? Okay, Maria Laveau. She is um, is known as a as a voodoo. Um, they call her the Voodoo Queen um, of New Orleans. She was a um, African American woman of, of mixed heritage. She had um, Afro Caribbean and um, and Native American um, indigenous uh, bloodline. She was known for being very beautiful, and she was also known for um, the, for being. In, in voodoo, uh, she uh, started her career as a hairdresser. So she, as a free woman of color, she was she was born free. Uh, she was never enslaved. Her father was was um, um, Anglo, so she was born free. And um, but she had a career which was very uh, you know uh, very rare outside of New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans had a vibrant free 
free population of, of uh, African-Americans. But she served as a hairdresser, so she knew a lot of the white women's secrets. And she would offer um, spells, charms, to help um, anybody uh, um, for a personal price um, get out of a certain predicament. Um, and so she was very prominent in New Orleans society. She lived to her 80s. So she's born around the early 1800s and she uh, passes away in the 1880s. Her daughter um, uh, also becomes a major figure in voodoo culture after that. So some historians speculate that some of the things that um, Marie Laveau did, actually her was her daughter who was Laveau. And so when anybody tries to say anything um, about like, oh, it's a voodoo, uh, you know, Lincoln saw met, met with a voodoo fortune teller. Well, Marie Laveau is the most prominent person, so he, it had to have been Marie Laveau. Likely not. There was other practitioners of the voodoo faith in New Orleans, like there is today. And um, Marie Laveau's grave in New Orleans, I think it's in St. Louis Cemetery Number One, um, is a major tourist attraction. You can only see it now through scheduled tours because there's been so much vandalism in the cemetery. Um, uh, proper, but the peoples will still go to uh, Marie Laveau's grave. Um, not they, they used to put um, cross marks on three cross marks uh, to get their wish. Now they knock on it three times, leave an offering, and it's believed that Marie Laveau will grant your request. She's also uh, her spirit is seen or said to be seen um, in the French Quarter. Um, and also by Bayou St. John, where she would perform some of her rituals, and she is seen um, uh, with her snake. Um, that was um, her her pet, and so people say that they see Marie Laveau and her and her um, pet python um, in New Orleans today. A pet python? <laughs> That's a. Well, also 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 in in, in voodoo, um, snakes are are are, are uh, part of the ritual um, too. You know, people you'll still see that they'll they'll as part of the because it comes comes from Africa, comes from the Caribbean, um, and blending with Catholicism. So part of the ritual sometimes is to have have their snake or python, um, you know, and that they will use as part of their ritual. That takes some bravery right there. I'll be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Do So do you think seances and being exposed, in a sense, to the supernatural affected Abraham Lincoln's work during his presidential reign? I think it did. I think he was, he's a very, he was a very empathic person. He was a person that liked to listen to the opinions of others. He called it taking his, his public baths. He encouraged all politicians to bathe frequently, meaning don't get in the bathtub, though that would probably help also, but to talk to your constituents, talk to your people, understand what the common person felt. And so when spiritualists are um, conducting their seances, and they would, and they admitted that they offered political advice, though they would always say, oh, it wasn't my personal belief, it's the belief of the spirits. The spirits are telling me what to say. The spirits are telling me to tell Lincoln to sign the Emancipation Proclamation because it will be the thing that you will be known for in history, that you will go down in history, and that your name will be, you know, honored for this. And so they would offer him advice like that. Um, they gave him an idea of, because of, um, mediums at this time period, they were, they were primarily Republicans. 
And being a Republican back then meant that you were um, more on the progressive end. You were in favor of abolition. You're in favor of women's rights. You're in favor of um, prison reform, reforms for the treatment of the mentally ill. Uh, so they were on the edge of politics. And so they, when they would channel, the, especially these young women, they would they would always say, well, I, yes, I went into the political realm and I talked about, you know, the abolitionist movement. I talked about women's rights, but it wasn't what I believed in. It was what the spirits were telling me because in heaven, um, everyone's equal. Everyone is free. Um, the spirits are saying, you know, treat, tr um, uh, treat the, uh, the mentally ill as you would, you know, treat your neighbor, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the gospels of, of love your neighbor, take care of your neighbor, um, don't chain up your 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 mentally ill cousin, um, that that kind of thing. And so it would have had an effect on Lincoln. He would have been aware of their counsel. He would have um, and then figured out the best way possible that he could enact what he believed was right. That is truly incredible to to say what you're going to do and then you actually do it and to really treat everyone as your neighbor and treat them how you want to be treated is so important. And yet while that that quote is ancient, some of us still do not practice that today. Now, you have extensively written and researched about eloquence and manners during the Civil War. How did that influence people when talking about or being interested in the paranormal? Their vocabulary was so advanced than ours. Um, we even look at what a 12-year-old, I mean, most people would have what we consider to be a fifth or a sixth grade education. And when you read about the reader writing, even people like Nettie Colbert, um, their grammar may be um, erratic, but um, and Nettie Colburn was one of the, the Lincoln's favorite mediums. But their ideas of, you know, expressing how um, they wanted things done was so eloquent. Um, and so I think it was it was a high in the sense. They mean, I mean, they read the Bible and the King James version. I mean, we have to have the, 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 the Bible and, and all the, all the, um, uh, you know, modern day language. I'm sure they're probably going to come out with an emoji Bible eventually, but they're reading the King James Bible. Um, they're reading the works of Shakespeare without cliff notes. Um, so yes, they had, they had a much more, expansive vocabulary they could probably cuss you out and tell you to to go to to go to um hell and um you would enjoy the trip um uh, and much more um they um they could be blunt they could be just as crude as 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 we are today but they did it in a such much much more elegant way they definitely had a way of telling stories um to to um you know heighten heighten the feelings heighten um even their mockery um and, and you see that especially in the civil war ghost book where um these are male journalists who are writing about encounters that primarily women have had and so you definitely see their their their, their sexism you're also going to see a lot of um language today that we would consider you know inappropriate about about other um, racial groups and other religious beliefs, um, but there it was. It was a way of telling a story. It was a way of filling out a newsprint. 
Um, it was also a way to serve as entertainment because people read the newspapers to be informed, but also be entertained. And ghost stories were part of the news and also part of entertainment. And that's definitely still the case today. We we read the news, we read articles to be informed, but most importantly, to be entertained and to kill time, especially if you're on a in a car, on a train, you know, things like this. So some believe that the 13 colonies um, are pretty haunted places as there was so much bloodshed between the pilgrims and the Indians. What are your thoughts on this compared to other states? All states have their bloody history. Um, and also you have to realize that the 13 colonies were, um, yes, they definitely are haunted. Um, and all of, the, all, of, all of them are, but also the other states uh, were also being settled during the colonial era, but many times they're being settled by the French or the Spanish. So they have as equally as bloody battles. I'm from San Diego and there was bloody um, battles between the Spanish and the Native Americans, even at the missions. Um, and those were also in, in town. We Growing up, we knew that the San Diego mission was, was haunted. Um, uh, you know, so it's the, it's the land. The land has always been um, bloody. Um, and we do have, especially on the East Coast, I think um, we documented it just a little bit better. Um, but all of our, our, of our, our states are haunted, um, I think, uh, like in New England, definitely in the South here, you know, we've had the same people, the same families. And so they can, can document their stories and their family history better. So I think maybe that's where we get the idea that, let's say, Massachusetts is more haunted than, than Southern California. Both are equally old. Um, both are settled within a hundred year period of each other. Both had equally bloody battles between um, the settlers and the Native Americans. Uh, both had atrocities on both sides. Uh, just New England is more settled and more older, and California is more transitory and more younger. So those stories tend to get, get um, neglected. Also, there's a little bit of a language gap. It's a little easier to read Old English than it is read um, older Spanish that is in a... Um, Spain, Spanish Castilian dialect versus a, a um, and um, a, you know an English dialect, and so that takes another breed of historian who can go through and actually learn to decipher um, 18th century um, uh, Spanish. Um, I knew one of my professors could do that, and it was just incredibly difficult. While we're on that thought, looking at in a sense the old with the new, do you think that? old towns, old cities are more haunted than our more modern cities, or are they equal with their hauntings? We're equal. Um, we have new buildings here in Fredericksburg, and we know they're haunted. Um, my Barnes and Nobles, um, they call her the border ghost. Um, they had a paranormal investigation for Halloween last week, and it turned out they have two ghosts, and they date to the Civil War. And the... Um, Building was built in the in the early late nineties. Um, uh, you you go somewhere. I there there used to be a Seven Eleven not too far from my house. I knocked it down to expand the road. The local myth of that Seven Eleven was they kept the radio up high because the cashiers didn't want to hear the ghosts. Um, 
um, our local Target is haunted. Um, it, it, it's just the land. It's the, it's, it's the land. So I don't think age is, or age of a building um, is a um, requisite for a ghost. So let's say a building was taken down, right? And it was haunted before. It's going to remain haunted even if there's a new building on top of that. Is that correct? Correct. I mean, um, wow. Colonial Willingsburg, um, it, it is, um, you know, there's about 300 buildings, I want to say, in Colonial Willingsburg. Half of those are modern buildings that were built to look like the original colonial structure. They're going onwards to about 100 years old, but Colonial Willingsburg is insanely haunted. It's because it's the land. It's the land in which um, those 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 buildings are built on. And in your opinion, how is the land able to retain that energy or those entities? Because again, it's not the building, it's not the attachments to any object. From your explanation, it's from the land. How is something like that possible from your knowledge? Yeah, I, I know some. there are some theories that it's, the, um, the quartz may be in the ground because um, quartz is a crystal and um, quartz can, can um, you know, store memory. We use it in our computers. We use it in our, in our, in our uh, clocks. Um, but beyond that, I, I don't know. Um, I, think, I think that's also the, one of the great mysteries of hauntings is, is how can a modern b building be haunted even though it's on a 200-year-old battlefield, but the, but the building wasn't there. Um, you know, I know somebody that her house was built on an old, around an old farmhouse and she's seeing, she saw the, the ghost walk through or the memory of the ghost, the residual energy walking through her house, but their house wouldn't have looked anything like her house. That is honestly so cool. And you are right. These are the big mysteries that so many of us want answers to. And it seems like we won't get them until... We cross over. Yeah. <laughs> Out of all of the time periods, why are you fixated on the 1800s the most? What is it about that time period that resonates with you? I have always had a fascination with the Civil War era. Now that I'm working at the Mary Washington House, I'm just as fascinated with the 18th century. I think the 18th and the 19th century, it is, you know, they are, the people are so relatable and one end, but at the other end, it's such a separate era. So you can r recognize yourself a little bit in, in the people and and the, the time, but then also there's so much about their life today that is not compatible. That is like, it's um, almost like, you know, a foreign land. So one point, at one point they're relatable, but they're the point that they're not. It's just a fascinating period of time. People are, you know, it doesn't matter what um, century you're in, people are always going to fall in love. People are always going to have love, hate, jealousy. Um, funny things are going to happen. You know, someone's going to get drunk and do something stupid and they're going to record about it. Today, we just have videos. I mean, at work, we talk about, you know, in the 18th century, what would have been the, you know, the famous last words? Hey, guys, watch this. You know, what would have been, uh, what, would, what, the, what would they have been doing um, that we would, we today, we would post on YouTube. So that is relatable. Um, their ideas of gender, their ideas of, of um, you know, racial feelings, um, you know, not an equal at all uh, era. That is where it feels so foreign. 
Um, but at the same time, people are people. Um, so you're always going to have a love, love, hate, jealousy. Um, people are going to love their children. People are going to love their pets. Um, so that is what is relatable is the human element. Being so fascinated in those time periods, if given the opportunity, would you go back in time and, and live those periods or would you rather stay in modern times? I'd much rather stay in modern times for the health benefits alone. I mean, um, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't last like five seconds back then. Um, I'd be accused of being a witch and, and, you know, strung up. Um, but no, I think it's a fascinating to study, but I certainly wouldn't want to live there. I, I can relate to that. Look, looking at some of the, the things that I've looked into, which isn't much when it comes to that time period, I'm thinking it was very difficult back then. And while their clothes were super cute, a little bit too thick for me and too many layers. And I feel like I would just be sweaty walking around everywhere, just like dripping in sweat. Yeah, I, I've worn for your clothing. You sweat. <laughs> you sweat. I mean, some of the reenactors go, oh, we are just as comfortable today in this clothing as you as as wearing your clothes. Like, no, because at the end of the day, we can still pop the corset off and put the bra back on and be much more comfortable. It's like people would ask me when I was guiding, like, are, are, in August, are you hot? I'm like, yeah, but you're hot, too. We're just going to be hot together. Jeez, that is so funny. And I remember back in school, we would visit these locations where people were dressed in their periodic clothing. And it truly is so magical to attempt to walk through a time machine, a TARDIS, if, if, if I can say that, and to be a part of that environment with the people who are dressed up, using the right language, the house or the mansion is in the same kind of um apparel but you wouldn't call it apparel when it comes to houses but you know what I mean mm -hmm. and it's so magical for kids and adults to go through something like that so first off I want to say thank you so much for all the things that you do and bring in that magic in present day from quite some time ago and one time I had a little, a little boy on a tour and he it was a school group and he stops and he goes this is like an adventurous space and time this is like being an episode of Doctor Who it's exactly like that, 100%. Well, we won't, we, except for the monsters running across. So we would have to be like a, we would have to be at a Hartnell era historical because we, we don't have the monsters running through yet. And, and I'm okay with that. I don't think I'm, I'm ready to fight off some monsters anytime soon. No, yeah, I, I, I couldn't tell the difference between a Zygon and, a, you know, which one is the real Queen, Queen Elizabeth. There you go. I can tell you're a real fan. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But from your knowledge, did any other presidents participate in seances or have an intense interest in the paranormal? Yes. Um, in fact, Lincoln was not the first president to have a seance in the White House. The first goes to the Pierce administration, which is two administrations before him. And they actually invited the Fox sisters, who were considered to be the... Um, the founders of spiritualism. Uh, there's two sisters, um, Le Leah and Kate. They were young girls from New York, uh, and they had a haunting in their house. And through that, they claimed to be mediums and to communicate with the dead. And so they came to New York, I mean, excuse me, to, to um, Washington, D.C. to set up, um, uh, they would set up a parlor in a, in a hotel, and people would come in and have seances. And the um, Pierce, Pierce's had had just this even more of a tragic uh, backstory than Lincoln's. Um, uh, uh, President Pierce and his wife, Jane Pierce, they had Michelle, I, I do apologize, but we're actually coming towards a break. We're going to get into that story in detail. Hang tight. We will be right back after this. 
million gigawatt paranormal powerhouse. KUNX DB. BX. This is Jimmy Church of Fade to Black. And you are in the future because you're listening to Christina Gomez and Shifting the Paradigm. Hey, wonderful listener, this is Christina. If you love these podcasts, please make sure to rate each episode, leave a review, and subscribe on the app or platform you listen in on and share with others. It really is a great way to support my work and helps so much. Also, if you want to watch the video of the show, the link to my YouTube channel is below. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. just talking about the Pierce family and apparently they had a more tragic background than the Lincolns. What happened with them? So um, President Pearson's wife, Jane, had had uh, four sons and before he became president, three of the four had passed away. They died very young and they were devoted parents to their youngest child named Benny, Benjamin. And in fact, Jane Pierce did not want her husband to run as president, um, was not happy that he won, was not happy that she was going to have to go to uh, Washington, D.C. And so they are traveling in March. And because um, in, in up into the 20th century, inaugurations took place in March because of uh, travel. Uh, the w- winter time is very difficult to travel. And so they're traveling in early March to go to Washington, D.C. They are on a train. The train derails. And in the accident, their young son, Benny, is the only fatality. And he died in the most awful way possible. The the trunk that was in the compartment above him actually came down on him and it got him in the back of the neck and nearly decapitated um, this little boy in front of his parents. 
And so now they have lost all of their children. And Jane, needless to say, is beside herself in grief. They actually call her the widow of the White House because she did not um, do any formal functions as first lady. And so as part of her grief, um, they the Fox sisters come and do a seance, a couple seances in the White House. And in fact, the shock jock demon in the White House tries to blame Mary and Jane for releasing a demon to the White House. But that documentary is actually based off of a fiction horror novel called The President, um, which is pure fiction. So that was one of the first um, seances in the White House. We know the Lincolns um, did, were interested in, in seances. We know people are saying the White House is haunted as early as the Grand Administration, which is two administrations after Lincoln. And then we there is stories that during World War II, FDR had a seance come in, had a medium come into the um, Oval Office to um, give him some advice on how long his lifespan was going to be in 1945 when his health was failing. Um, she says that she snuck her crystals in her muff when the Secret Service had, had to check it, let her in. She snuck, she snuck her, her crystals in and came into the Oval Office and was giving FDR a reading. And FDR kept asking her, you know, how much more time do I have to get certain um, goals done? And she kept telling him, you have very little, Mr. President, you have very little time. And she was right. He was gone within two months of this meeting. And um, so we, we know that. And then, um, of course, um, the Reagans did have a, a tense interest in all paranormal topics. They were fascinated by UFOs. They, it's on the record that they had at least two to three UFO sightings. Um, so, and also, um, Mrs. Reagan would have um, her favorite medium or astrologer look at Ronald's um uh, uh, schedule to see what was the best days to meet like Mikhail Gorbachev, what was the best days so that uh, from his chart that he could um, get some of his goals across and have big, powerful meetings. So what were the best days for that? And I know um, it's unproven, but there are um, rumors that even uh, the Clintons were interested in, in seances. And there is one um, story I have heard that uh, Hillary Clinton tried to have a seance to talk to the spirit of uh, um, Eleanor Roosevelt um, during some of their um, political uh, troubles in their administration. So it seems to be a somewhat consistent theme for presidents of the United States to have some interest in the paranormal and or to have some type of communication with them, usually for a type of political help. But my question is, do you do you believe that the United States White House is is haunted? You personally? I think there's enough stories to support that claim. I mean, I, I haven't been there and talked to the ghosts of Lincoln, but I think, and also, again, how many important things have happened in that building? How many earth-shattering moments that presidents have felt there? President, like, Lincoln lost a child there. Um, uh, children have been born there. Um, also, uh, President Wilson's wife died um, in the White House. So there, there's been weddings at the White House. So there's been so many good things. There's also been so many bad things or hard things, you know, the, just the energy from the assassinations that have taken place, the grief, um, 
9-11, the attack on Pearl Harbor, things, um, the president's mulling over um, going to war, um, you know, so, you know, who lives, who dies. I think on even a spiritual level, just the energy alone of those, those struggles would embed itself into, into the ground. There are people that explain that usually when they enter, not usually, but at times when they enter a building, there's this sense of heaviness, these emotions of sorts. Do you think that's the case for the White House? I mean, you get tourists going in, you get a lot of important people coming in all the time. And myself personally, I haven't come across any stories like that. Have you where someone states this place felt weird? I haven't heard that, but I know um, I know Reagan's daughter did not like did not like staying in the Lincoln bedroom, and the Lincoln bedroom is actually Abraham Lincoln's original office. So I know that um, besides the bed being really uncomfortable, but also that that bed in the Lincoln bedroom is also the bed that Willie died in. Um, they called that the Prince of Wales bed because the Prince of Wales in the 1850s had stayed in that that on that bed, um, but that is actually the bed that. Um, Willie died, needless to say, not the same mattress, but that is actually the bed that Willie Lincoln died in. Um, so we have, and then also that's Lincoln's former office, his Lincoln bedroom. And I know people will say maybe that the, the room itself has um, a feeling. I know Re Reagan also had a dog that refused to go into the Lincoln bedroom. Um, so I don't mean maybe there's parts of the White House that have feelings, uh, not the whole building itself. Okay, no, that, that, in a sense, it would make more sense. Well, there would be there would be certain rooms or certain locations that might feel a little bit different than the entire building as a whole. Now, we're going to shift gears just a little bit. While you are a paranormal investigator and historian, have you ever come across a more UFO type of experience when conducting research in a location that has paranormal activity? No, I have not. I'm interested in in in, in UFOs. Is just as, and I think we we all are right now. Um, especially it's fascinating. Um, the time that we're living in, where we're seeing things like NASA is going to have a UFO discussion. Um, uh, I've not seen like in, in any of my paranormal researching saying, "Oh yeah, by the way, at this site we've seen a UFO." I haven't had that yet. Are you wanting it to happen? I would love to see a light in the sky as long as they don't pick me up. I mean, I don't want missing time after this. I just, I, I know, I, we're not, you know, I don't want to, you know, be, be ghosted by an alien. Um, but, you know, I sure, I think anybody would be fascinated to, see, to say, hey, I saw something in the, in the sky I couldn't understand. So do you believe that there is a convergence between the paranormal and the UFO phenomenon? Anything's possible. Um, I mean, I know people have also seen, you know, We'll go into Bigfoot at, at in, in UFOs and ghosts, and I know there's, um, you know, I've heard stories like in cemeteries um, that were known to be haunted. Um, is sometimes, uh, you know, out in the country, you know, Bigfoot seen coming through. I mean, anything's possible. I mean, we 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 don't understand enough about hauntings to say yes yes or no. So I, I kind of like that 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 anything's possible, and um, you know, uh, you know. People say that they they see things. You know, what? Who am I to say that they they're they're wrong? I wasn't there. I don't I don't know who these people are. 
There are those that claim that during times of reenacting the Civil War, for instance, in the exact locations where the war took place, some people see ghosts. But from your knowledge, are these residual ghosts or interactive ghosts? A little bit of both. One of my favorite stories, and it comes from Mark Nesbitt's books from about Gettysburg, which are a must. They're really great. And if you ever have a chance to go to Gettysburg, I highly recommend stopping Ghosts of Gettysburg. I know during most of the year on Friday and Saturday nights, Mark Nesbitt tries to be at his store to sign his books, and he is person. Um, wonderful, wonderful man uh, to talk to about ghosts. And he talks about, and it's one of my favorite stories, that I think it was during the 130th, so this would have been in 93, 1993, there was a reenactment in Gettysburg, and the Gettysburg reenactment is not on National Park property. It's off-site. Off but these reenactors, at the end of the day, instead of going back to their, their camp and drinking beer, they actually wanted to go up to Low Round Top, um, which is a major part of the battle, and just watch the sunset. It is so gorgeous out there watching the sunset. And they're up a little round top and they're watching the sunset. And next thing they hear is shuffling out of the bushes. And this, what they thought was a union reenactor comes shuffling out. And they're looking at him, man, this man is incredible. Look at the detail on his, um, his uniform. It looks like he's been through the battle. He's all battle st uh, stained. And the um, reenactor says to the other um, group, you know, it's been a tough day's fight, hasn't it? And they're like, yeah, it has been. And they're thinking, well, wow, he he's staying in character. This is amazing. And the reenactor reaches into his pocket and says, here, boys, you may need this tomorrow. And he hands them rolled up cartridges, which were used um, to to load load the gun that would have the um, the a um, ball they call a mini gun or mini ball, and it had also had gunpowder that they would pour down the barrel and they put the gun in, they ram, ram the barrel down and then they would be able to fire. And they're, lo they're looking at this and they're like, this is amazing. And before they look up to say anything, like, where did you get these? The guy completely disappeared. And then they're looking more closely at the cartridges. It wasn't blank cartridges. Um, it was a live ball and it was black powder. Both of those are not allowed in reenacting because he could kill somebody with that. And they took, because they were, they, he gave them three. They took one and they had it, they had an um, expert analyze it. It was an 1860s made cartridge with correct wadding, correct black powder, everything pristine bullet. And then they went the next day to ask around who was this person handing out live ammo? They could not find him. No one knew who they're talking about. Nobody was handing out live ammo at this reenactment. How is something like that possible? If that really was a ghost that doesn't necessarily have a physical form, how is it able to hold an object, a legitimate object, and give it to someone else um, the way that this entity did? Do you have any possible explanation for something like that? I mean, maybe, you know, what's the theory about, you know, time dimensions? Maybe time is just all stacked up at once and we're the ghosts. I mean, maybe it was, you know, a, a moment in time where the two paths crossed and somebody came, you know, he came into their their time period and went back into his time period. I mean, that's, uh, who knows? I mean, 
I mean, I was one time talking to a relic hunter and he goes, um, you know, there's days we go out and we find all these bullets in a tree and then we come, we get everything and we clean the tree out. And then the next day we come back and there's fresh bullets in it. So he goes, you know, they, they let us discover what, 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 um, they want us to, and that, you know, time is just, you know, real, you know, just a concept. That's a really fascinating theory and not one that I've heard from very many paranormal investigators where time is practically stacking up on top of itself, um, on top of each other. It's very, very cool. So while we're on this conversation, what is your paranormal equipment of choice while on investigations? I'm a new investigator, so I'm just trying to learn how to use... Um, uh, the uh, EVP. Uh, I think that's, that's kind of my favorite. Um, and I do have a K2 meter. I'm still trying to figure that out. I just kind of sometimes use my senses myself because um, most of the paranormal investigations that I have been on per se have been, I'm hosting them at my museum. So I'm following around the other paranormal investigators to make sure they don't touch Mary's teapot because if they do, I told them there will be another ghost at this location and it'll be them. Um, so, uh, so mainly I, I've just learned from following around other um, paranormal investigators. Um, I think EVPs are fun because you kind of get to ask, you get to ask questions and I try to, you know, coach it in, in, in terms that they would understand because I do have a little bit more understanding of the language of the period. So that's kind of my favorite. While we're on the conversation of EVPs, how, here's my question. When you are attempting to speak to an entity, is there ever a language barrier there? Or is there in the sense where for you, you have a better understanding of how they spoke during that time period? From your understanding, do they understand anything that is being said? Or does it have to be very directed and specific, usually in the lingo that they used in their time period? I think it depends on how aware the spirit Yes, I think some are more aware that time has passed than others. Um, but I think understanding the period, you're going to get better results. One time at the Mary Washington house, we had a group that was asking about asking, you know, well, how did you decorate for Halloween? They didn't, Halloween wasn't celebrated in the 18th century. Um, it's more of a modern 20th century holiday. So, you know, no way would a colonial ghost know how to answer that question or answer, answer. That was, that was not a holiday in, in, in their time period. Um, I think also understanding, uh, uh, slang, um, helps. I remember one time I forget I think it was at the Whaley house where somebody was saying, you know, was hearing um, one of the ghosts calling, calling one of the mediums a, a chit, and they thought that they were calling it a shit. Um, chit, C-H-I-T, is a, a slang for saucy girl um, versus with the meaning of S-H-I-T. Um, so kind of understanding um, what the slang was um, at the time, um, understanding that holidays and the meetings of holidays have changed. Um, you know, that kind of thing. I, I try to, I try to like have a conversation with them. I, I don't want to talk to them about how, how, how they, they died. I think that's kind of rude. So I'll ask them, you know, what was your favorite Bible verse? You know, 
you know, um, you know, what was your favorite song? That that kind of thing. Did the first president of the United States, George Washington, have any ghost encounters? Because it's said that his Mount Vernon home is extremely haunted. He did not have any that were documented during his lifetime. The stories about Washington encountering angels, those come, and that story comes actually before the Civil War, where um, it was presented as a morality tale, as a tale of we're going down a bad road, and um, we have to think about what Civil War means. So people were trying to stop the Civil War or using it as a morality tale, the story of, of Washington seeing um, angels at Mount Vernon, not at Mount Vernon, but at Valley Forge. That was something that only hits the press in 1859, which is right before the Civil War starts, when people are starting to see that war is coming. So not during Washington's life, but yes, um, Ever since the 1830s, there has been stories of Washington being seen at Mount Vernon. In fact, even um, for Halloween on the George Washington's Mount Vernon Facebook page, they were talking about ghost stories that people have seen. Um, George has been sensed at Mount Vernon, his wife Martha, the enslaved workers have been seen. They've heard children, even the dog, even their dog has been seen at, at Mount Vernon in the kitchens. And um, so I think, again, that was a place where George was the most happiest was at Mount Vernon, had a lot of really good memories there for him. And maybe that's a place where either it's not an active haunting, it's a place where that, that feeling is still, still in, in, in embedded there. Have seances been conducted there or have mediums been there that have attempted to communicate with George Washington? Not officially. Again, the Mount Vernon, only in the last couple of years has Mount Vernon on Halloween even start, started talking about some of their their um, uh, haunted history or spooky stories. I do not expect the Mount Vernon Blaze Association any day now to, like the White House, to be allowing a, a paranormal investigation. And I, I don't think it sh one should be done there. I think that is a, a very sacred place um, in American history. Um, the the accounts are, are just what people going there as tourists have experienced or people who have worked there as guides have experienced. And have there been other homes in the United States owned by presidents or those that are very famous in history that have homes that are now haunted? Most of them, actually. Um, Most Monticello, of them. Um, people have heard um, a man humming. Um, and Thomas Jefferson was known to hum as he walked. Um, people have also encountered the spirit of Jefferson's wife, um, Martha, in, um, or at least a memory of her in um, the, the oldest section of the house um, where she spent a very unhappy winter at. So they, they felt uh, Martha Jefferson's spirit there. Um, people have heard humming. Um, let's see. Um, uh, they're supposed to be, it's not connected to the Monroes, but they're supposed to be a little girl at James Monroe's plantation called Highland. Um, yeah, most, most of them have, have, uh, have had a story connected to it. And I have one final question to end today on a high note. I noticed on your social media that you are a big fan of Doctor Who. So yes, what are I your am. thoughts on David Tennant returning to the show? 
I'm thrilled. I'm 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 thrilled to to see it. I'm a, I'm a newer Who fan. I came on during the Capaldi era, so I'm really excited to see um, what the show can do under under Russell T Davis. Um, the last couple of eras has not personally been a favorite of mine. Um, I'm also I also adore the classic era, so I'm really happy. I'm really excited that what's going to happen for the 60th anniversary next year. Oh my gosh, when I came across the news, I was internally screaming because David Tennant is the Doctor Who of of the new of the new era. Oh yeah. So when yeah. I and and his look with the suit and the converse, I'm like rocking it right there. When I came across that on your social media, I'm like I have to ask Michelle this question. I have to because this is this is exciting news for us Who fans. It is. It is, yeah. Michelle, thank you so much for being on Shifting the Paradigm. Where can people find you online? They can find me on Facebook. I'm Michelle L. Hamilton author. I am also on Twitter under HistoryWiz1. Those are the sites that I update the most. Um, I tr- try to be a good blogger, but it's really difficult when you have a, f- a full-time job um, being a museum manager plus um, writing. But I am most active on Facebook and on Twitter. Thank you so much, Michelle. Oh, thank you. You're listening to the UnX Network. KUNX DB, Kansas City, Missouri. It was such a pleasure to speak with Michelle and to hear about Civil War ghosts. All of her social media links and where to purchase her books are in the description box below. Check out my website at strangeparadigms.com to catch all the show archives in podcast and video format, along with guest appearances and all of my social media links such as Discord, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and more. Follow me on Twitter at eyes underscore on the skies to catch all of my updates and news. I want to wish you all a wonderful week. Please like this video or podcast on your platform of choice and share it with those who have the same interests. Subscribe if you haven't already, because there's a lot more great shows coming to you soon. Be safe and remember, keep your eyes on the skies.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.